Hello, hello, welcome to, of course, Griff Talks Football with your host, Griff. Um, today's episode, again, reviewing week 11, so last weekend's games. Previewing week 12, so this upcoming weekend's games, including uh, tomorrow, Thursday night game between the Colts and Texans. So again, whoever wins that will will take a brief control and hold over first place in the AFC South division. So that is a very important matchup, uh, not only for both teams, but definitely for Houston to win. And then, of course, episode five of my one take, which I'll promote at the end of this episode. But nevertheless, let's start this off with reviewing the week, starting with last Thursday night's game between the Steelers and the Browns. Which, again, when I review and preview, I'll talk about the overall theme and then explain some details. But definitely, overall theme highlights what to look for or what to think about or even what I am pointing about in this particular game. Starting with Steelers versus Browns from last Thursday night's game. A great game that turned out to be horrible. Browns defense dominated at several sacks, four interceptions, two of them by middle linebacker Joe Sherbert, who I believe had AFC uh, Defensive Player of the Week. I could be wrong, but I believe he did win that. But nevertheless, a very dominating performance. But it turned ugly because several Browns players got ejected from the game, as well as the Steelers. Miles Garrett is facing is facing an indefinite suspension. Um, and as of right now, he's trying to appeal that decision to at least be able to play a couple of games throughout the season instead of missing the entirety of the season. Swung a helmet at uh, quarterback Mason Rudolph of the Steelers, who instigated the fight. He got hit to the ground, decided to try to rip off Miles Garrett's helmet. Miles Garrett ripped Mason Rudolph's helmet, swung at Mason Rudolph, hit him in the head, which again can not only cause serious damage to the brain and especially the head injury, but also that is not. It's not, it's also definitely not a sports performance, not a sportsman-like or sportsmanship. But again, it's terrible. No one should have to see that. It was a great game by the Browns. Their offense didn't turn over the ball. They were able to pass the ball at times pretty significantly well. So again, I still don't trust Freddie Kitchens. But nevertheless, there was no discipline by the Browns. Miles Garrett, again, is out indefinitely for the rest of the year until his appeal gets it out of the way or something else comes up. But nevertheless, again, Miles Garrett definitely could have had impacted Mason Rudolph's health in a very negative and serious way had Mason Rudolph not been able to try to avoid it or if he not even paid attention. Um, just again, terrible. So terrible for that. But it, just talking about the game itself, it was dominating defensive performance. That's why the Browns won. It wasn't their offense, although their offense made a couple plays. Uh, because Baker Mayfield was able to find receivers open, was able to buy some time, scramble along the pocket, made some good, accurate throws. But again, the offensive play calling is very uh, inconsistent with Freddie Kitchens. There's still necessarily uh, necessarily not a identity that the Browns' offense ha- has. Yes, it's running the ball, as I've talked about throughout the show, throughout this year. It's running the ball, but it's not very specific towards your identity. 
Um, and it, again, unfortunate um, that the Browns are still trying to figure out their offensive identity. But again, nevertheless, it was a good performance by Baker Mayfield, and at least they turn over, didn't turn over the ball. Um, so they move on, uh, or at least move forward, and prepare to play the Dolphins this weekend. Uh, the Steelers are moving on, or at least moving forward, to prepare the game against the uh, uh, Bengals. But then they play the following week, weekend after this weekend, and uh, it's going to be a very exciting competitive game. I can uh, definitely tell you that. That's enough out of that game, uh, which the score, by the way, was twenty-one to seven. It was twenty-one to seven. Uh, I can definitely uh, say that. Uh, I also believe that Baker Mayfield threw two touchdown passes, uh, nearly three hundred yards passing. Uh, I know that Jarvis Landry also had a touchdown, a touchdown reception. It was a good play. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just unfortunate the way it ended. I wish it wasn't like that. I wish it wasn't. Um, but nevertheless, it began. Oh yeah. Baker Mayfield, um, two touchdown passes and a rushing touchdown. Um, but yeah, just, just unfortunate. Next game is Jets versus Redskins. Sam Donald threw four touchdowns in this game. I believe any quarterback, even Mitch Trubisky. Yes, Mitch Trubisky can ball out against the Redskins defense because it's that terrible. Now, granted, Sam Donald has targets to throw to, so does Mitchell Trubisky. But Mitchell Trubisky has a better O-line, but it has not performed well. Sam Donald has performed under a terrible O-line, but made the most of it as he's had throughout the season and definitely made the most of his opportunity against a porous Redskins secondary and pass rush. Nevertheless, Throwing four touchdown passes. Jets won 34-17. Jaguars versus Colts. Colts, two running backs, Jonathan Williams, as well as Marlon Mack, who unfortunately got injured in the third quarter and has a fractured hand, I believe. Um, he may play this week because uh, necessarily as a running back, yes, you're kind of limited in terms of being able to catching passes and be able to block, but you can still run the ball. But yes, both running backs in that game had over 100 yards rushing. It was basically just pound the rock against that Jaguars front seven because they still both won the best pass rushing game, uh, pass rushing duos or pass rushing group in the game today, despite being a record of of uh, four and six. Nick Foles, he had a good game. He did throw a pick. We threw two touchdown passes. So I mean, yes, he he had a good game, but there was there was no there was also lack of running from the Jaguars. They're playing from behind because the Jaguars defense could not stop the run. Meanwhile, uh, Jacoby Brissett he played. I thought he was out for in my previous episode. I thought he was going to be out for the week. He was not. It was a game time decision. He played uh, through a pick, through a touchdown pass, barely over 150 yards passing. But nevertheless, both running backs, Jonathan Williams, Martin Mack. Had over 100 yards rushing, and Marlon Mack, Jacoby Brissett, and uh, Hines had a rushing touchdown. Um, but nevertheless, just dominating run sh- and rushing performance, not only from the running backs, but also from the O-line. Bills versus Dolphins. Josh Allen's three-touchdown game helps the Bills get the, the, the W. Um, 
Beat the Dolphins 37 to 20. Dolphins never had a lead to begin with. Bills just dominated from there. Cowboys versus Lions. Another good game for Dak Prescott. Threw over 400 yards, three touchdowns. Game ended up being 35 to 27. Very competitive than what I thought it was going to be. Cowboys had an opportunity to give Driscoll a hard time, which they kind of did in the first half. But yet, he was able to rally the team or help the team get in position to come back. Um, unfortunately, the Lions defense um, couldn't make the plays to be able to stop the Cowboys from running out the clock, and that's what happened. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, great effort by Lions, but at this point, their season is done, I would say. Texans versus Ravens. Ravens absolutely dominated Houston. The scoreboard ended up being 41-7. What, what I thought would be was a quarterback duo for by far probably one of the best duo or duo matchups or quarterback matchups this far in the season or even ever for this season uh, wasn't the case. Now Lamar threw t- three touchdowns over 200 yards, had a rushing touchdown. The rushing attack was just dominant against the Houston's front seven, which isn't a weak front seven. Despite the loss of J.J. Watt, they're in the top five still for rush defense, but they just got hammered and dominated. Their secondary has been injured, riddled, even with all their starters on the field. It has not been consistent. It has not meshed well. And again, the Ravens offense dominated. While their defense also got six sacks against the, the Texans O-line in sacking Deshaun Watson, they forced some turnovers, um, some key fourth down situations, didn't allow fourth down conversion, I believe. Uh, but just dominant performance. And with Houston's offense at first on the drive, on their opening drive, it was a bunch of quick passing. Most of the passes went to DeAndre Hopkins. But yet... They deviated from that. Like, they didn't go back to it. They didn't try to run the ball, which evidently didn't wasn't as successful. Um, they decided to go more of a pass-heavy out of many shotgun sets. But when you're trying to throw intermediate to deep routes, it does take a, huge, a significant time to throw the ball. And when, you're, when the defensive unit is calling blitz, man coverage, or zone blitz, and your offense line doesn't pick up, or if they do, but they're struggling um, uh, to be able to to block or, or hold for a particular amount of time. As a QB, you need to throw that ball quickly as possible. And for Deshaun Watson, uh, nothing against him. He's having a great season thus far, I would say. Um, just held on the ball too long. Part of the reason why he, he got sacked several times and so what begs the question now is, all right, in this upcoming Thursday night matchup, is it going to be the same as it, all, has it been all season where it's a bunch of shotgun formations? You know, of course, you've been successful throughout the year running the ball, ranking third and rushing yards. Um, but is it going to be a bunch of shotgun formations with some inside zone or some read options, but still throwing it intermediate to deep routes? Is it going to be quick passing like it has been in the past? Uh, for this season, or is it going to be changed up a bit? Where we'll see a lot of formations where the quarterback is under center, where it's going to be play action. Because they've had significant success throughout the season, 
calling play action passes with a quarterback under center and of course, you know, faking the run because it's play action, but then being able to throw those crossing routes or those deep routes. And so uh, and that is going to be curious moving forward is, okay, when you're facing teams, will you do that? Or if you play the Ravens again, will you do that? Will you call a bunch of under center formations and have Watson stay in the pocket with extra protection or having those Quick play action passes where you just fake it really fast and throw it pretty fast. So a bunch of questions here after this game. Because obviously, um, if you're having this offensive system where it's just enabling one player, does it really mean it enables all the offensive players? You know, and again, I'll discuss more of that in detail. But just, again, dominating performance by the Ravens. It just wasn't what I expected to be. And same thing for the Falcons versus Panthers. I did point this out, I believe, in my previous episode about being a pass rushing game. They sacked Kyle Allen several times. The score ended up being 29-3. to And not only did they sack him several times, they forced four interceptions. And at this point, the Falcons are now on a two-game winning streak where they never had to play from behind. They took the lead, maintained the lead, kept a more run balance. Matt Ryan uh, didn't turn over the ball. You know, an impressive performance. I'm not sure if the Falcons can keep this up, but if they continue this winning streak and be at, you know, six and seven with three games left of the year, I then would consider not counting them out of the playoff race, despite how competitive and how intense the NFC conference is. In the AFC conference, you can already determine by like week 12 that, oh, these are all the teams that are going to make it in the playoffs. We know that for sure. Or like this is majority of the team in the AFC that will already claim their division at some particular point. And we will config- we can figure out and guess which team, at least guess more accurately, which team will make it in the AFC. In the NFC, it's just wide open still. Yes, you have your some dominant teams, but it it's just so inconsistent in a sense of, oh, we think this team will be successful. Nope. Or we think this team is terrible. Nope, they do well. But with the Falcons, again, you know, I wouldn't count them out if they continue this winning streak. And that means playing dominant defense and keeping the lead. And so that will be that will be important for them. Meanwhile, the Panthers are now on a two-game winning streak with Kyle Allen, Kyle Allen throwing a bunch of interceptions these past three games. So that's something to to worry about. <clears throat> Saints versus Bucks. Saints dinked and dunked and demolished the Bucks. Yes, dominated thirty four to seventeen. Drew Brees didn't throw over three hundred yards. He threw I think two seventy eight with three touchdowns. Twenty two out of twenty eight. Such efficiency. Getting everybody involved in a passing game. The power running was also established. So they were able to milk the clock too. And again, score a bunch of points. So they did not throw the ball vertically once. Or at least over 20 yards. It's been intermediate routes and efficiency. So I'm not sure how long or how much longer the Saints can continuously do this and find success with this. If it's for the rest of the season... Great, but if they play against a team that just adjusts to that pretty well and doesn't allow it, they will need to throw vertically. However, they really have to do that because the short, 
quick completions or quick routes and intermediate routes with play action were very successful. The running game were successful, and our defense just dominated and intercepted Jameis Winston four times while also forcing a fumble. So, oh my gosh. Just terrible performance by the Buccaneers' offense as well. Next up, of course, Broncos versus Vikings. Captain Kurt come back. At the second, at the, as soon as the second half started, the Denver Broncos. Yes, the Denver Broncos were up 20 to nothing. I repeat, 20 to nothing at the Viking Stadium. And at the end of the game, the Vikings won 27 to 23. They scored an unanswered 27 points to take the lead. Kirk Cousins threw over 300 yards, three touchdowns, didn't turn over the ball. Otherwise, he did fumble. But in terms of, he didn't throw interceptions. So he did fumble. The Broncos did recover that in the first half. But otherwise, he didn't throw an interception. He played efficient. He played well in the second half. He threw beautiful passes. And once they took the lead, uh, the Broncos were trying to come back, which they almost did, but they got short at the goal line with two seconds left. They threw a pass on the fade route, incomplete, game over. Congrats to the Vikings defense for stopping that, and congrats to the Vikings for winning this game. And Kirk Cousins' stats right now, he's almost thrown for 3,000 yards, I believe, while also throwing 21 touchdown passes. Actually, no, he's over 3,000 yards passing. I do think so. But yes, he's got 21 touchdown passes to only three interceptions. And no one, I believe no one, is even mentioning him in the MVP conversation. Yes, they're still currently behind the Packers in terms of the NFC North, but they're 8-3 right now. They're 8-3. They're on a bye week now, I believe. Um... Let me check real quick. Yes, they're on a bye week right now. They're going to prepare for the Packers coming up in the next two weeks. So the Packers lose to the 49ers this weekend. And then the Vikings beat the Packers. They'll take the lead in the NFC North. But by then, will people actually include Kirk Cousins in the MVP conversation? I consider him the MVP conversation. He led a great comeback. And has great stats thus far. <clears throat> and, again, did it without Adam Thielen. Yes, he's got Kyle Rudolph and Stephon Diggs and other targets to throw to, and Dalvin Cook. But I'm saying, like, Adam Thielen's receiver that no one can ignore. And once Adam Thielen comes back healthy after the bye week, I, offense is even going to be more difficult to, to handle if they continue to play consistent. And, again, of course, starts with Kirk Cousins. Cardinals versus 49ers. Jimmy G saves the day. He did throw two interceptions, but he also threw a career-high 429 yards passing, as well as four touchdown passes, or at least tied the career-high in terms of passing touchdowns, but helped the 49ers get past the Cardinals from what was another competitive game. Ended up being 36-26, to because... Uh, <clears throat> The 49ers defense was were able to force a turnover at the end of the game and turned it into a touchdown. But yeah, it was again impressive comeback, impressive two-minute drill 
threw a touchdown pass to a, a wide open running back who beat a linebacker in man coverage with an angle route. Beautiful route that was run. No one was in the middle of the field. And he just go he just ran into the end zone. But it was a great throw and great read by Jimmy Garoppolo. Now Grady, I, he's not in the MVP conversation right now, I would say, despite being nine one. It's just he hasn't had those gaudy stats. It's been the defense as well as the rushing attack by the 49ers that's propelled him to 9-1. But that performance was well needed by Jimmy Garoppolo to get past the Arizona Cardinals. And boy, did they need that one. It was, it was great. Great performance. And by the way, I only saw three, at most three drop passes. So the 49ers wide receivers played significantly better. <clears throat> of course, again, it's against a 31st-ranked secondary, but if you don't drop passes, you can have an excellent game. Patriots versus Eagles. Pat's defense gets the win, 17-10. to Patriots also had to take the lead on a trick play where Julian Elliman threw it to a wide-open receiver in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. Yeah, Tom Brady did not throw a touchdown in this game. Um, I believe there was also uh, a, a running back at that uh, touchdown. I don't think he threw a touchdown pass. Um, but nevertheless, um, it was the Patriots defense that kept the Eagles in check. Zach Ertz didn't catch a single pass in the fourth quarter. Again, the Eagles couldn't throw vertically down the field. But nevertheless, congrats to the Patriots on winning that game. Um, they're going to face a couple of more tough opponents from here on out. But nevertheless, that's not something to, to, to uh, uh, ignore. It was, again, a, a good performance for the Patriots. Bengals versus Raiders. Bengals QB Finley went 13-31 for 115 yards and threw one interception against the 30th-ranked Raiders secondary. Come on now. You have targets to throw to. You have Joe Mixon. And didn't play well. Come on now. No, granted, the Raiders had a good pass rush that game. Getting to Finley five times. They were able to run the ball for a majority of the time. Derek Carr had an efficient game. He did throw a pickup lead, but he had um, a touchdown. Uh, yeah, two touchdowns. Again, played efficient. And the Bengals defense did everything that it could to keep the game close, 17-10. But, jeez, man, you had targets to throw to. It, I just, it looked like he was holding the ball a little bit too much, too, which is part of the reason why he got sacked several times. But against the 30th-ranked pass defense, you have an opportunity to just ball out. And, unfortunately, that's not what... Occurred. That's not what happened. Bears versus the Rams. Gap run plays. That was the difference here. And as well as Gurley being involved in the fourth quarter. He was involved in the fourth quarter. But Rams being known as a predominant zone running team with multiple wide receiver sets with one tight end involved. Boy, they ran a bunch of gap plays where they include two tight end sets and sometimes an eye formation set. You know, two with a fullback. Gap plays in which 
You're not so much trying to stretch the defense horizontally to then cut up field. You're not so much trying to be so patient in the backfield where you're waiting for multiple holes to set up. Rather, with these gap plays, sometimes there's double teams. I mean, double teams are involved in any run necessarily. Um, however, with gap plays, you're, you're assigned to one particular gap as an alignment to uh, block and attack a particular defense alignment or defensive line front for the, for a particular run play. But yeah, they didn't run power, but they ran some dive plays, some lead plays, some counter plays. And the Bears defense struggled stopping it. Now, granted, the scoreboard ended up being 17-7, but that's because the Bears defense uh, forced some turnovers, at least forced third down stops, and that Bears offense barely did anything. Even though they did score a touchdown, they couldn't accomplish really anything offensively. Mitchell Trubisky got benched in the fourth quarter with three minutes left because he had a hit pointer injury. But it could lead to also his performance just being terrible. But, I mean, nevertheless, just they, the Bears defense could not stop the gap run plays. I think they were really preparing to stop, or at least what they looked to prepare for was a zone scheme type runs that the Rams with Sean McVay have always run, or at least since he's been there since 2017. But no, at least that night, he did what worked well. It was gap run plays. He ran one inside zone, which does require some patience, but it could also look like a gap play. Um, didn't run any outside zones. Just some counters, some lead, and some dive plays. It was great. Great performance by not only Todd Gurley, but also the Rams' offensive line, and also good play calls by Sean McVay. And last but definitely not least, Chiefs versus Chargers. Phil Rivers throws four interceptions against a 27th ranked passing defense. Now, the pass rush did get to Phil Rivers a couple times, but you have to ask yourself, you know, that running attack by the Chargers was working pretty well. Have Phillip not thrown any of those interceptions, they could have or would have been able to win that game. But the Chargers still had an opportunity to come back. They were at the opponent's 20-yard line in the red zone. And I believe it was like second down. There was like 30-something seconds left on the clock. Phillip took the snap out of shotgun. And it was a wheel route that he was trying to throw to Eckler on. However, the safety was playing down, but it wasn't man coverage. So Phillip was, was, was anticipating a man coverage design where he thought the safety would struggle mightily defending this wheel route. However, that wasn't the case. Sandejo, I believe that's his last name, Went straight back. He went kind of an angle, just backpedaling, playing zone. And when Phillip didn't see that, he just, it looked like he just assumed that Eckler beat his man. And by the time he threw that ball, it looked like Phillip knew he screwed up or fucked up. And Sandeo intercepted the pass, and that was the end of the game. But I'm, I'm seeing 
these four interceptions that Phillip threw, such as that one, he looked lost in play. It looked like he couldn't really identify what was going on. And so Phillip, with the Chargers at 4-7, and seven, is really having a struggling season. So they could go on a five-game winning streak, but I'm, he and he, they could do that. But if he doesn't, I don't think he's coming back. And even if he, they did, I don't think they're going to sign him or re-sign him because he hasn't signed an extension. This is the last year with the Chargers, and he has not played well. I feel bad for Phillip. I really don't want that to happen because I really do think he's an incredible quarterback, but he's just playing poorly as of late. That's it in terms of reviewing. It's time to preview Week 12, starting with tomorrow's Thursday night matchup between the Colts and the Houston Texans. And a question I'll ask, or something to look into, is play action and run balance by Houston. Will it be like that? Will it be a play action, run balance team where Deshaun is going to be under the center a lot? Where they're going to keep running inside zones or some power plays or some outside zone plays? Which they are predominantly gap slash zone inside team. They do run some zone outside zone plays or zones plays. But from Bill from Bill O'Brien's play calling background and organizations or teams he's been involved with involved with, it's been gap plays. So the question comes to mind, will Deshaun be under center a lot? Or will it be like last time, or at least predominantly throughout the season, where he's been out of the shotgun a lot with some two-back sets, with some motions, of course, some jet sweeps, some read options, throwing in the ball sometimes quickly, but predominantly intermediate routes to then throw deep. Like, yeah, he's a phenomenal talent. He's, I would say, a great quarterback. But is it particularly the system that will work against the Colts' defense? Because the last time they did that, the Colts ended up winning 30-23 to earlier in the season. And the Texans, at least offensively, were playing from behind. And were calling a lot of those shotgun formations. And didn't really establish the ball or establish the running game as well as they wanted to. And it wasn't like they could rely on quick passing. Or at least when they did, it was effective, but then they went away from it. And so they relied a lot of intermediate routes. And Deshaun was sacked several times in that game. So the question begs to mind is, will will they go again play action with Deshaun under center? Because he's had success doing that throughout the year. Will, will it be him going under center and faking the run and throwing crossing patterns or deep routes? Or would he bootleg out of there? And will it just be like last season where it's Deshaun under the center, a lot of tight end formations, pounding the rock, sometimes a fullback in there, which I don't think they have a fullback on the roster this year, but definitely pounding the ball. And then calling play action from there. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I feel like that isn't going to be the case, but that is something to look into is will it be more of a play-action run balance where it's going to be run-on-run pass, run-on-run pass, or will it just be what they've been doing all season, pass, 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 run, play-action, out of the shotgun, roll out of the pocket, throw it, pass, 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 
with intermediate routes, not so much quick routes. You know, that's, a, that's something to look into. Dolphins versus Browns. Another good game by Mayfield. Last couple games. Last three games to be exact. Didn't throw an interception. Has taken care of the ball. Has thrown consecutively over 230 yards passing-wise. He's going against a bad secondary. Now they've had additional time to prepare for this opponent. But despite whatever play they're going to call, it's basically going to be Mayfield making the most of that situation. Because again, it's been inconsistent play calling by Freddie Kitchens. So the only way I see the Browns actually winning this, if they do, is going to be based on how Will Mayfield plays. Miles Garrett is a big part of that defense. Obviously, they'll miss him. Uh, The Dolphins do prepare pretty well, especially in the first half. Unfortunately, they couldn't do that against the Bills. It's it's really difficult to to prepare an opponent when you're playing them for a second time, or at least two times a year. So in your division. But nevertheless, something to look into another good game by Baker Mayfield. Lions versus Redskins. Which defense plays better? Which poor ass defense plays better? Jeff Driscoll's going to start this game. He may have a good game. He may have a bad one. The Redskins defense play well. Dwayne Haskins, he does have targets to throw to. He does have Adrian Peterson to rely on. I do think the Lions have an edge in terms of targets to throw to and at least quarterback play, but it's going to be which defense plays better. Raiders versus Jets. It's going to be Derek Carr versus Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold is definitely going to take advantage over a weak secondary the Raiders have. Yes, the Raiders are probably going to rely on their pass rush to get there. Yes, the Jets have a terrible O-line and not really an established ground game. But nevertheless, Sam Donald, don't get me wrong, is a very good quarterback. I would argue very good quarterback with the things he's got to deal with. But he's got targets to throw to. Robbie Anderson, Jameson Crowder, tight end Ryan Griffin, uh, Laban Bell out of the backfield, Derek Carr, he's got targets to throw to. And, I mean, they're going to rely on pounding the ball but that Jets run defense has been performing well as of late and has been forming, has been forcing turnovers. So it's going to be how well Derek Carr plays with the targets he has against Sam Darnold. And it should be an underrated, exciting game. Giants versus Bears. Daniel Jones versus Bears defense. I guarantee you, the Giants online is not as great as the Rams online. I guarantee you, despite how well and good and great of a running back in Shaquan Barkley the Giants do have, it's not enough. That Bears defense is definitely going to focus on Shaquan or Shaquan Barkley. So it's going to be how well Daniel Jones performs against that Bears defense. I'm not sure he's going to start a QB for the Bears this week. Um, but no matter who starts, even Mitchell Trubisky starts, I do think he's going to have some success against the Giants secondary. But I think with um, Matt Nagy still being the play caller, I feel like he's actually going to run the ball a lot in this game. 
And, but that should be the focus is Daniel Jones versus the Bears defense. Panthers versus Saints. Uh, precision offense versus Christian McCaffrey. I think the Saints defense is going to try to capitalize as much as they can against Kyle Allen and his turnover fetish as of late, if you will. That's one way to put it. So they're going to put the ball a lot in Christian McCaffrey's hands, whether running it or passing it. They're really going to rely on Christian McCaffrey in this game against the Saints defense. However, the precision offense, was, which is the Saints, they're going to struggle in a uh, to be able to throw crossing routes or short routes and be able to pound the ball against the Panthers defense. I do believe that is the case, even though they had a poor game against the Falcons, but the Falcons were able to throw the ball vertically. The Saints haven't done that whatsoever, or at least a few times, not as much. So really, and it's not even their bread and butter, so really it's going to be how precise and how well and how efficient will that offense be with what they have? And against, can they handle Christian McCaffrey? Can Christian McCaffrey carry the team on his back? Seahawks versus Eagles. Russell Wilson versus Carson Wentz. I know Carson Wentz does not have a deep threat. Russell Wilson has several deep threats. Russell Wilson has a ground game. Eagles have somewhat of a ground game. But Wentz... He's an all-around talent. So is Russell Wilson. Wentz is going to do everything he can while he's got against an average defense. He's not facing the Patriots defense like he did last week. He's facing an average defense with the Seahawks. Wilson is facing a 32nd ranked pass defense. Even though they have a good and amazing pass rush. Now the Eagles defense is getting healthy and healthy as of late. So their secondary, I believe, will get better late in the season. But Russell Wilson has an opportunity here not only use his athleticism, but also make some sharp, accurate throws while having two weeks to prepare for the Eagles defense. Buccaneers versus Falcons. Falcons defense. That's basically what it is to it. I guarantee you the Falcons will win this game. Uh, the Buccaneers do have a good, a good run defense, but they have a poor secondary. And the Falcons can throw vertically with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and, and Austin Hooper may come back this week. But if James Winston can take care of the ball, actually, and not get and not force a turnover, or not throw an interception, or not fumble it, I think the Bucks may be able to win this game. But it's definitely going to be a Falcons defense. That's basically that's going to be the start of the show in this game. What to look to or look forward to is the Falcons defense. Broncos versus Bills, the Allen game. Yes, I don't think Joe Fox is coming back this week, uh, but it's definitely going to be a Josh Allen. Versus a Brandon Allen game. Both def- both teams have great defense. Both teams have a well-established running game. It's going to be which Allen plays better. Steelers versus Bengals. It's going to be a run defense game. If Steelers' run defense can perform well against the Bengals' rushing offense, they'll win. If the Bengals' run defense can handle the Steelers' rushing offense, they may win. It also depends how well their quarterback on both team plays. Uh, I would not say this would be a, a, an easy game for Steelers to win. I know they have an amazing defense, but their offense is pedestrian. I know the Bengals are winless, but they do have some targets to throw to, and they do have Joe Mixon. I feel like this will actually be a competitive game than what some people may think it will not be. 
Jags versus Titans. Nick Foles versus Ryan Tannehill. Nick Foles has weapons to throw to. So does Ryan Tannehill. Both quarterbacks are facing the pass rush. Are facing a good secondary. Both offensive systems are kind of similar in terms of what they want to do philosophy-wise, which is, of course, pound the rock. But, again, which team with the quarterback does better is going to be based on which quarterback performs well. Cowboys versus Patriots. Cowboys offense versus Bill Belichick. This is a coaching mismatch. I don't care if the Cowboys are America's team. If they're America's team, they would have won the Super Bowl each year. But guess what? They don't win the Super Bowl each year. They haven't won the Super Bowl since 1995, which is a long-ass time ago. Meanwhile, the Patriots are balling as usual, going to the Super Bowl nearly every other year. They've been to three straight Super Bowls. They won two of them. They've had six Super Bowl rings under the Tom Brady-Bill Belichick era. So don't tell me that the Cowboys are better than the Patriots. They're not. They're not. They're not. Because this is a coaching mismatch. With that being said... Jason Garrett is going to be relying on Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys' offense to pull out and get the W here. However, they're facing the mastermind in Bill Belichick, a.k.a. the Emperor of Star Wars, a.k.a. the mastermind, a.k.a. I'm going to take your lunch money, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Bill Belichick is an amazing coach, first ballot Hall of Famer, hands down once he retires. Um, but nevertheless, he's not retiring time soon. Um, but yes, this is going to be how Bill Belichick handles that Cowboys offense. If Bill, which I imagine he will, but let's just say it's going to be competitive. If Bill Belichick gets the upper end early and forces the Cowboys to go pass heavy, which is what they've been doing as of late. Because of their rushing performance has not been doing well. Um, they'll lose this game. If they cannot keep the time of possession and with the Patriots' offense, which I do think they'll be able to pound the ball against the Cowboys' run defense, which I think they'll do this week, um, if the Cowboys cannot, again, keep their time of possession in their favor, they're going to play from behind. Or if they do play from behind, it's going to be a struggling. I do think it's going to be a struggling, a struggling passing performance from Dak Prescott if they're playing from behind. But if they if they do well with the targets that Dak has, this will be a, a competitive game. But I'm saying again, this is a coaching mismatch. Everyone knows that it's going to be Bill Belichick against the players, not Bill Belichick versus Jason Garrett. It's going to be Bill Belichick versus the Cowboys offense. Packers versus 49ers. Uh, the student versus the master. Who's the master? Kyle Shanahan, head coach of the 49ers. Who's the student? The head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Matt LaFleur. He has two weeks, or at least extra time, if you will, preparing for the 49ers. Both coaches use the same system, the zone scheme system, with multiple tight end and eye formation, or multiple two-back, one tight end, two receiver personnels. Both teams want to run the ball and establish the ball with a zone scheme, be able to roll out and be able to call play action passes with quarterback rollouts or even have the quarterback stay in the pocket. However, Matt LaFour does have an advantage. He has Aaron Rodgers and better targets 
compared to what Kyle Shanahan has. But Kyle Shanahan also has an advantage. He is the one that's basically the second father of the zone scheme system. He's been more of an experienced offensive play caller compared to Matt LaFleur. So this will be not so much a Kyle Shanahan versus the Packers offense. It's going to be a Kyle Shanahan versus a Matt LaFleur showdown. I do think it's not, it is somewhat of a coaching mismatch because of, of the experience, but Matt LaFleur has made the most of what he has offensively, and so has Kyle Shanahan. So while one has most experience, don't get me wrong, I do believe Matt LaFleur is an amazing head coach, or at least a good head coach, not just because he's got Aaron Rodgers, which definitely helps, but he's made the most of what he's got with the weapons that he has. So this should be an exciting matchup, no doubt. The student versus the master. Matt LaFleur versus Kyle Shanahan. Last but definitely not least, Ravens versus Rams. It's going to be Jared Goff versus the Ravens defense. No one's got a ground game like the Ravens. And the Rams have a pedestrian run defense. They're not going to stop it. I guarantee you they're not going to stop the Ravens uh, rushing attack despite how well experienced and how well of a coach Wade Phillips is being a defensive coordinator there. Sean McVay has a good culture and a good offensive system. And but the Ravens defense have an excellent run defense. And it's not like Jared Goff can scramble well. And they're gonna try to shut down Todd Gurley. They're gonna try to shut down the gap runs and the zone runs. It's gonna be how well Jared Goff can handle not only the blitz and the amount of pressures the Ravens defense will have, but how can he perform against that secondary? I do think, again, targets to throw to you, Cooper Cup. Uh, Robert Woods may return this week. Uh, Brandon Cooks may return this week as well, as well. And if they do, this will definitely help Jared Goff. He also has tight ends to throw to. And Todd Gurley's been getting more involved as late, and he's definitely got a running back to throw to out of the backfield. So... This is definitely a golf versus Ravens matchup. And as I end this episode, uh, what I'm promoting or what I'm previewing for this uh, upcoming episode five of my one take, uh, it's going to be about Bill O'Brien's old offensive system versus new offensive system. The offensive system that he's currently running with Houston versus the old one that he's used in the past. So that's what I'm going to be discussing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, and be prepared to listen to my one take, which is coming out this Friday. So again, thank you so much and have a kick ass, wonderful day, y'all.